Hey everybody, welcome to another awesome Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett, and with me as always is Hannah. How you doing, Hannah? Doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited to be jumping into the bat crap craziness that is Revelation. Uh, what are we, chapter 7 today? Chapter 7. So I feel like I've learned a lot, but I also feel like I'm still totally um, scared of this book. <laughs> Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't be scared and confused. <laughs> All right. Why don't we uh, just jump in? Yep. So this is broken up into two sections, like most of our chapters have been. The first section is chapter seven, verses one through eight. So I'm going to go ahead and read that and then we can discuss. Woohoo! Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds so that they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea, wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel, from Judah, 12,000, from Reuben, 12,000, from Gad, 12,000, from Asher, 12,000, from Naphtali, 12,000, from Manasseh, 12,000, from Simeon, 12,000, from Levi, 12,000, from Issachar, 12,000, from Zebulun, 12,000, from Joseph, 12,000, and from Benjamin, 12,000. That's That was riveting stuff. <laughs> Just a list of numbers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And somebody's really excited <laughs> about the number 12,000. <laughs> well, a lot of people have made this into like a, there's literally going to be 144,000 people saved. <laughs> Maybe you have heard this interpretation before. Yeah. Isn't that a, um, like a, a very Mormon theology? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that, but it's mostly a Christian theology. Like okay. Mormonism gets it from us. <laughs> the yeah, crazy yeah, ones. Yeah. We're the yeah. crazy ones. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so, I've just heard that there's a limit on the number of people that get to heaven, and they're, like, super into that. Like, all Mormons believe that. I think. I could be wrong. Yeah, I think there is a limit. But here, I think in Christian traditions, the the number is used more to say who's going to be spared from tribulation or something like that. Okay. Who's going to be taken out. But I, I don't think that's an accurate reading of what's going on. Like, I mean... I don't think a lot of what's going on is an accurate reading of Revelation, <laughs> <laughs> which is why we're doing this podcast. So you're not going to hold God to like 144,000, like exactly? No. And okay. I mean, who's counting, honestly? <laughs> well, someone is. Who? Who? Uh, the angels with the wind, they're counting. Well, technically, and we will get into this, it, it says that John heard how many were marked with the seal of God, 144,000. Oh, yeah. But later in the second section, it's the same as when he hears the lion and he turns and sees the lamb. He sees something else. So he hears that 144,000 are being marked. But in the next passage, he sees a great crowd too vast to number. Wow. Interesting. So it's very much a symbolic number. Yeah. And it's totally like, it's totally dreamlike. Like things that, 
happen in dream world that make total sense where it's like, yeah, I was leaving my house, but it wasn't my house, you know? And, uh, exactly. yeah, I heard a lamb, but I saw a lion. Mm-hmm. So weird, but yeah, also so- cool. <laughs> so in chapter six, we opened six seals and there's seven, right? So we're like, obviously the seventh seal is going to be if we turn the page. And then of course we get to chapter seven and there's no seal at all. <laughs> so what the heck we're supposed to like finally find out what's inside the scroll and we don't get to find out at all. I, I have to tell John's- you something that I forgot to mention at the beginning when I should have mentioned it. Um, Tiffany and I just watched the Waco uh, miniseries on Netflix. Have you heard oh, of this? Yeah, I saw or- that too. Yeah. Did you watch it? Mm-hmm. It's horrible. Yeah, but like I was totally like, okay, I hear them talking about seals and opening the fifth seal and like, I don't understand it, but I sort of uh, recognize what he's talking about. Yep, they got it straight out of Revelation. That's what uh, one of the Revelation fan fictions (laughs) that has been popularized. (laughs) I will say about that show that I didn't really know a lot about what happened in Waco before I watched that. Like I had some vague understanding that something went down. But the last episode was horrifying. Like, oh, yeah. I, I, I can't remember the last time I was so upset watching yeah. something. It was really sad. Like, I, I know all growing up, like, I was aware of Waco being a thing and David Koresh. And in my mind, it was just, oh, yeah, he was a crazy cult leader. And that's it. But, like, this series definitely humanizes them. And makes the government look like a bunch of buffoons. Now, you know, it's just one <laughs> side of the story, but it's enough to make you think like, okay, maybe there is a little bit more going on here than what we were led to believe growing up. Well, and at the risk of uh, making the government listen to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> or causing trouble, like, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to picture a situation, whether it's that situation or other situations where the government covers its own butt like that's not oh, out yeah. beyond the scope of our imagination right yeah. we just don't usually and i say we like you and i we don't usually think about it because we are in a position where we don't have to because we have a pretty okay life and we're white and we've never really been in trouble with the law but like there, this is something like minorities and um marginalized groups think about constantly which is that they are going to be on the wrong end of the government doing what the government does Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I try my best to have patience when people don't get it. Like whenever the, what are you talking about? White privilege? Like I was poor as dirt growing up. No, no, no. That's not what we mean. And, uh, like, you know, I, I used to kind of think that way and it was just because I hadn't been exposed to any of this stuff. And why would you want to question the story that you're told and the authority that's in front of you. Right. It's like, yeah, it Especially makes perfect if you've sense. won the genetic lottery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, and I think the best way to explain it, because uh, people get very uncomfortable when we talk about white privilege and they're like, well, not, not all white people. And that, that's not really what we're talking about. It doesn't mean that your life hasn't been hard or difficult or that you haven't had some major challenges to overcome. It simply means that the color of your skin hasn't made it more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen there's a video and I might get some of the details wrong, but it's like a bunch of kids like in a circle. And the idea is there's something in the middle of the circle that they want to um, run and get. And somebody's like, all right, uh, if you if your parents are divorced, take a step back. 
if mm -hmm. you uh, if your parents didn't make X amount of money, take a step back and like to look around and see what the people look like that are taking a step back. It's like, OK, yeah, like there's clearly and it's not saying that, you know, you were some sort of like privileged uppity person, but you just had more advantages that the people around you didn't have. And it's very obvious the color lines that it goes down. Right. And I, I think it's obvious if you uh, I mean, of course, if you're a minority or a marginalized group or you're a person of color, it's obvious. Um, but for I think a lot of white people, it's it's not obvious because it's never something that we've even thought about. Like I never thought about Waco. Yeah. Until I I mean, I didn't I, I knew that it existed in some vague sense, but it never really required any contemplation from me um, where I think that's the case when we think about race and race issues and um, all of that, we get very uncomfortable and we're like, I mean, it exists in somewhere, but not here. And we don't really want to think about it. Um, but when we come face to face with it, and it's usually because we are face to face with somebody's real life experience, it's horrifying and it's very upsetting. Just like me watching the end of that Waco documentary, it's, it's horrible to f come to the realization of what happens in people's lives that we haven't been caring about. Yeah, and it's always systems that are just trashing normal people. And if that doesn't sound like what's going on in Revelation, then I don't know what it is. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, Revelation is not necessarily focused on race issues specifically. It's focused on the issues of persecution and things like that. But it's it still speaks to that because it's a, obviously a minority of people and they're being quite like the government and the local authorities and all of the people around them are doing everything they can to make their lives miserable. Yeah. Yeah. And so you cry out for help. And uh, that's that's mm -hmm. what we see going on here, sort of, I think. Yeah. So. We have to wait because we still don't get to see the seventh seal. We don't know what God's plan is to rescue the whole world. Um, but there's a seal of a different kind in this passage in chapter seven, because the seals on the scroll, they're meant to envision like, you know, the sticky wax seals that's meant to like keep the document closed and hmm. you'll be able to tell if it's broken open. But the seal in chapter seven seems to have the purpose of putting like an identification mark on something, an item or an animal, or in this case, humans for some kind of special treatment because God is sealing them. That's what it's saying. The other angel is saying, wait, don't, don't start what you're doing until we've placed the seal of God on the foreheads. Nice. So what is the treatment that they're going to be getting? What is the special treatment? Uh, what is the special? Okay. I would say uh, just based on like my uh, foreknowledge of revelation that they're going to be spared all the crappy things that are about to happen. <laughs> the the wind yes no. being loosed on the sea and the land and the tree. Yes. So that seems like they're going to be spared, but not from everything. Um, and it's kind of difficult to get this is where people are like, when is the tribulation going to happen? When is the rapture going to happen? Are people going to be like raptured out before everything happens or in the middle of everything that happens or afterwards? We don't know. And there's like so many volumes written on this. But here it seems like they're going to be spared from something. And it seems like the created order needs to be purified in some sense. In this particular case, in this passage, it's by this violent wind, which is going to scorch the earth and 
whip up the sea and uproot trees and things like that. I mean, I don't know. I can't really think of a modern day equivalent. Like, I don't know if he's referencing like a tornado or a hurricane or a sandstorm. I don't really know. But it seems to be some kind of violent windstorm. Is it okay if we consider them angel farts? (laughs) No. Dang it. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) So the it seems like just like all the other symbols of divine judgment that we've seen, these images are... They're from the natural world. So we had images in the last chapter, remember, of earthquakes and lightning and all of this stuff happening whenever God's purposes are being accomplished. So there's some kind of symbolic shaking that's going to happen to the entire world as God's judgments start to happen. So when this happens, God's people need to be reassured that they will come safely through which, of course, is because they're marked on their foreheads with this special seal that declares that they belong to God. It doesn't mean they're going to escape suffering. And I think this is where a lot of people get mixed up, especially people like in my church tradition growing up. They're like, well, we're going to escape suffering. Like the seal means you don't want the mark of the beast. (laughs) You (laughs) want the mark of God so that you can be raptured out of here or whatever. It seems like this list of people who are sealed or bear this mark refers to the same people who are described as this great uncountable crowd in the next section in this chapter. And we already spoke of this, but when John hears the lion and sees the lamb, we have the same parallel. He hears the number of 44,000 or 144,000 broken up into 12 tribes. But then when he looks in verse nine, he sees this crowd of people that is so massive that you could never count it. So to me, that very strongly suggests that these are the same people. (laughs) It's not like there's 144,000 and also a great crowd who somehow doesn't get sealed and is listening and watching. Hmm. It's like a uh, poetic, it's it's like a very like poetic way to just say there's a, like this number that I'm going to throw out there is significant because it includes the number 12 a bunch of times. But I don't really mean literally 144. I mean a number too big to count. Exactly. And it the 144,000 is 12 times 12. Yeah. Or 12,000 times 12. So, I mean, it could very easily represent the complete people of God. Just as we have the 24 elders representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples, the com- and they are kind of representative of the people of God. It's the same situation. Nice. And the people in this huge crowd that we're about to see, they haven't escaped suffering. They came through it and got to the other side, just like Jesus went through death and resurrection and came out on the other side. Yeah. So the idea of harming the earth and the sea and the trees, that seems a little harsh <laughs> in verse 3. Like, this is God's good creation, right? Like, and we already saw in a previous chapter that the whole creation is just ceaselessly praising God, including the trees and the mountains and everything. Yeah, and here we are about to blow it up. Right. So how can we do this? Like, how does that make sense? The only sense I think that we can make of it is to perhaps hold in our minds the possibility that somehow the very material of the natural world has itself been infected with the disease of human rebellion and wickedness. So it was created good, but we have done something to it. And so it needs to be purified of what we have done to it. 
where we're not really ever told when the wind is going to blow or what's going to happen when the winds blow or like it doesn't really say it just kind of moves on to a completely different metaphor in the next part so <laughs> i mean i guess it's just something john wrote down <laughs> or but we are just, basically the... left to imagine it yeah i was gonna say that was just his best way to put in words what he was seeing right I think the point of this passage, because it comes in between the sixth and the seventh seal, is to affirm to everyone, because we've opened six seals and everyone listening is going to be freaked out. <laughs> They're going to be like, oh no, everything is horrible. I don't know what to do. And then in the middle of this, we have this affirmation that evil is going to come out and come to its full height and be fully exposed, but then it will be overthrown. And in that whole process, God will not allow that whole thing to upset or put in jeopardy the rescue of God's people. The true people have already been marked out and God will not abandon them no matter what happens. Um, everything you just said was really profound, but I was thinking while you were talking, so I wasn't listening to you. I'm kidding. <laughs> then how do you know what I said was profound? <laughs> <laughs> I figured out the wind. I know what it is. Mm, what is it? 5G, baby. Oh, no. No, no, no. We are not promoting that 5G because, I mean, what, is the wind only going to affect Western countries that have 5G? Yes, until the whole world adopts 5G. And, you know, you know, it looks like wind to somebody who doesn't understand the symbol, the Wi-Fi sign. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is how crazy theories get started. <laughs> I'm going to start my own. Uh, never mind. Nope, I don't. I'm I don't support you. Sentence. Don't start your own. <laughs> oh. So just a note before we move on to the second section in this chapter, a note about the 12 tribes, because this list of 12 tribes, you might just read it and then be like, oh, yeah, it's fine, <laughs> without noticing that it's slightly different than the other lists in Genesis and in Deuteronomy of the 12 tribes. So there's three differences from this list to the main list. So number one, Reuben was the firstborn, so he should have been listed first, but Judah is actually listed first in John's list. Interesting. Is Judah second in the other one? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> I don't I remember what order they were born in, except that Reuben was the oldest and Benjamin was the youngest. Okay. There's a whole, like, if in scripture, there's like a million places where the firstborn is replaced by someone younger. It's like a total theme in scripture that happens like constantly. Yes, but remember in the story of the 12 tribes, the star of that show is Joseph, not Judah. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Joseph in the coat of many colors. And so one of the things to think about is historically what happened to the Israelites. So the kingdom of Israel split in half after Solomon sometime after Solomon. So we had the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom and the Northern Kingdom fell pretty quickly. And the Southern Kingdom was the, basically the tribe of Judah. And that lasted much longer before it fell eventually. And that's where we get the term Jew is from the tribe of Judah. So a lot of the writings that we have in the Old Testament, especially some of the prophets, etc., come from the Babylonian exile and are related to the tribe of Judah. So Judah is the most important tribe, perhaps, historically, because it's the one that survived the longest. 
<clears throat> interesting. It's um, it's a good thing that that's how it happened because if it could have been any of the other tribes, the name to describe Jewish people would have been really silly. Like if it was from Joseph, we'd have been Joes, like me and the Joes. <laughs> From the, Maybe. Yeah, the tribe of Zeb was it Zebulon? Zebulon? Mm-hmm. Me and all the other Zebs. <laughs> yeah. So also we have this metaphor of the lion of Judah, which we've already had in Revelation, the lion. So I think those are two reasons why Judah's listed first. Okay. Um also the tribe of Dan is completely <laughs> omitted. <laughs> he doesn't even exist in this list, or he oh, does man. in the other ones. And in, I mean, in certainly in the Old Testament, we have this, Dan was the northernmost point of Israel. So you have this saying from Dan to Beersheba. So from the northernmost point to the southernmost point of Israel, and Dan's not even on this list. <laughs> so there, maybe this is just a theory. Um, there's some people who believe that in some Jewish traditions, there was thought that the anti-Messiah or anti-Christ would come from the tribe of Dan. So possibly that's why that tribe was left off or maybe for another reason that we don't know. So what you're saying is we should distrust anyone named Dan. That is not what I am saying. <laughs> that's not, I already wrote it down. Nope. This is how, see, this is how we start a cult. That's my cult. We hate Dan's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so who and then replaced Dan? Manasseh, who is one of Joseph's kids, replaces Dan. Okay. So it, it, in, in effect, historically, Manasseh did kind of become its own little thing, which it wasn't originally one of the 12, but it did become its own tribe kind of eventually. So that's possibly why it's listed here instead of Dan. Gotcha. But I just think it's really interesting that... We have these 12 tribes, and yet they're not even, like, <laughs> historically, like, the right 12 tribes. Yeah, yeah, that's but weird. perhaps for that time frame, it is. So let's move on then to verses 9 through 17, which is the rest of chapter 7. And if you could read this part. Yes, I can. Okay. <clears throat> After this, I saw a vast crowd. 144,000, exactly. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people. Oh, that's so interesting, too. It's not specifically from the 12. Exactly. Cool. Okay. And the 12 isn't even specifically from the 12. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. They sang, Amen, blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor, and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, Who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. 
They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. Oh, amen. For for the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Yeah, this is a super powerful passage. It sounds like a song. And it is a song. In fact, verse 12 it's not, maybe it's another verse in Revelation. There's definitely a song that I grew up with where the chorus is blessing and honor and glory and power forever. Oh, it's Lion of Judah. Is it? The yeah. one is like. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. No, that's an extra song. Oh, okay. <laughs> the one I'm thinking of is like um, to, I can't even think. I'm going to sing and I apologize in advance to Oh, everyone. sorry. That was called it's Ancient like of Days. <laughs> oh, Ancient of Days is also a great song. Yeah, yeah. That's what but I was these, thinking. But <laughs> This one is like um, to him who sits on the throne. Wait, I thought you were going to sing. Fine. To him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb. And then it like repeats. And then it's like be blessing and honor and glory and power forever. It just goes. And it's like this. If you get a massive chorus of people singing it, it's like overwhelming. That's awesome. And it's kind of like meant to be like maybe, I don't know, maybe that's not a popular song. It definitely was when I was growing up (laughs) in my (laughs) tradition. People love to sing that song. That's killer. And it's meant to be like this overwhelming, like they're just singing at the top of their lungs. And just imagine like the orchestra and harmony and like just like washing over you. And it's this the voices of more people than can possibly be counted are who is singing. And John, poor John, because he has to relay this message to the people who certainly don't want to end up. I mean, they want to end up as these 144,000 with the mark and they want to end up as the crowd, but they don't want to live through the nightmare that's going to get them there. Yeah. Yeah, so that's like me and uh, working ready. out. I want the the six pack, but I don't want the pain. Yeah, I mean, I, it's probably like a little more intense than that. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine, <laughs> but good metaphor. <laughs> okay, maybe like ten percent more. Mm-hmm. Ten percent. Maybe. <laughs> maybe we should say one hundred and forty-four percent. Yeah. Exactly. Twelve times twelve. So. Have you ever had a dream that was so wonderful that you didn't want to wake up? Yeah, sure. So imagine (laughs) that these people, this, what John is saying is this is a dream. Like, or these people are thinking this is a dream and they're living in reality. But as we've discussed before, the nightmare that they're about to live is not reality. That's the nightmare that they're going to wake up from eventually and then they will be in God's ultimate reality and they will be clothed in white and they'll be worshiping God and they'll be saved, etc. That's pretty cool too. He's yeah, he but except that how you get there. <laughs> He's yeah, saying persecution cool. is on the way and you have to be ready. And you have to you're going to wake up. Like this image is beautiful, but you're going to go back to your you're going to go back into the nightmare at the end of this and it's going to feel completely devastating and you have to hang on for dear life to what you know is the ultimate reality it's like um you can really see how people can twist this stuff to make someone 
like invite calamity into their life you know like yeah of course you have to get persecuted so jump out there like who, who cares if something bad happens to you you, you know you've got a white robe waiting for you on the other side oh yeah i, I really hate that <laughs> because we always apply it to things that aren't actual persecution yeah 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 which is annoying to me <laughs> like when someone's actually being persecuted and martyred and like uh, i mean we think like oh we're gonna we're gonna have starbucks have red cups and the christians are being persecuted no <laughs> calm down like that's Ugh. not even true or people that are like xmas is you're gonna take the christ out of christmas and like well technically x that was happened way before commercialism yeah. Like the X is the Greek symbol for, for the Christ. Christos, the Christ. Yeah. So we're still saying Christmas when you say Xmas, but like, like we we say that those things are persecution. Yeah. And they're so blatantly not. Right. <laughs> like our entire, especially in America, our entire country was founded on quote unquote Christian principles. Although I would argue many of our founders were deists, but like quote unquote Christian principles, like are literally our entire historical time frame is based around the birth of jesus christ yeah yeah, yeah. the calendar what, what uh, other religion can say that yeah year zero yeah it's crazy to me <laughs> the people are like oh i i don't want to call 2000 a.d i'm gonna call it a.d in the year of our lord not ce the common era it's persecution yeah. i'm like it you we have no idea yeah, what we're talking about yeah i think most people in america have not been persecuted no. And I mean, I'm happy about that. Yes. <laughs> I oh, don't yeah. certainly want to be persecuted, as we've discussed before. But I mean, these people, the readers of Revelation were persecuted significantly. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and Christianity belief in God exploded because of it. Heard. So the question is, what is the ultimate reality? Well, that they have to hang on to. And that is that God and the Lamb already won the victory that Jesus already won the victory and that if you claim the lamb's protection, if you have that mark of that seal, if you're a true believer, then you will be in the time of great suffering, but you will also find yourself coming through it to God's throne room and having great abundant joy. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be like rescued from it, but like in the sort of reverse rescue way that we're coming to understand through scripture. Yes. Now we literally salvation literally means rescue, <laughs> but in the Old Testament, it the word tends to mean more like the process or the victory through which the rescue is won, or the process through which the rescue happens. So it's That's not good. Yeah, it's it's much deeper than just rescue. Yeah. And in verse 12 they're still shouting like they're still praising <laughs> the great crowd they're just recognizing everything good and noble and powerful and wise and wonderful it all comes from god and i think this is what actual true monotheism looks like not some mental assent to the fact that there's only one god but this joyful uninhibited just shout of praise to the god from whom all blessings flow <laughs> and then we have a conversation between john who is standing right there in the middle of the throne room remember and one of the 24 elders 
So the elder seems to ask the question which the readers are wanting to ask. Who are these people? Yeah, by the way. we still don't know who they are. Uh, I imagine it's like watching a movie and then someone on the screen talks to you. Mm-hmm. Or like some like a, um, Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, he's in like a flashback and he thinks no one can see him and then someone just starts talking to him. Right. And so the elder asks the question and then gives the answer because John's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, don't ask me a dumb question. You know yeah, the answer. Don't yeah, you tell you me. Know. <laughs> yeah. And so the answer is the one that all the seven churches need to hear. These are the people who have come out of the great suffering. So they live through the nightmare, but now they can wake up to a glorious, fresh, new day. And their robes are white, just like we have said in all of the letters to the churches. They'd be given robes of white if they have victory, etc. These people have been victorious, and so they have white robes. And God's not only just letting him letting them into his presence, it says he will shelter them. Um, and the shelter gives Old Testament connotations. So it literally means God will pitch his tent over them, just like he pitched his tent in the midst of the Israelites during the wilderness wanderings, that God will be in the middle and that they have nothing to worry about because God is living with them. Nice. And also... It's a it's a basically another way to say all the blessings of the Jerusalem temple, all the blessings of this wonderful place that we used to have a long, 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 long time ago before it got burnt down. We will have that again. They will be their blessing because they'll be with God in the temple all the time. And God will protect them from the elements. He'll protect them from hunger and thirst. Um, and finally... In a final anticipation of New Jerusalem, God himself will wipe every tear from their eyes. Yeah, he doesn't mean, you know, you will never have had a reason to cry. Uh, no, you will, yes. but there's someone there to pick your chin up and wipe your tears. Yeah, I think this is one of the most powerful parts of Revelation, and I think we cheapen it because we're like, in heaven, there'll be no tears. And... It doesn't say that. What it says is actually much more beautiful is because it has so much intimacy with God. Like God, of course, is angry with all the people that are defacing the beautiful creation and making the lives of their fellow humans miserable and doing all of this evil and destruction. But the reason God is angry is because at his very heart, God is so full of mercy and love that God's most characteristic action is to get off the throne and in person wipe every tear from every eye. Not bad. That's not what we think of typically when we think of God. No, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, can, I mean, the metaphor is almost incomprehensible. A crowd of people that is so numerous you can't count them. And yet... God is individually wiping away their tears. Nice. And I think if we can learn to think of that God, when we hear the word God, <laughs> rather than, I don't know, some faceless bureaucrat in heaven <laughs> or some violent heavenly bully, it's 
the most important way that we can actually wake up from the nightmare and embrace the reality of God's world. Preach. And that's it. That's chapter seven. I'm going to use that and then you can just take Sunday off. We'll just, we'll just use this for the sermon on Sunday. <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> I have not written Sunday's message yet. Oh, look at that. We're seeing a behind the scenes look at how Hannah works. Yeah, I tend to procrastinate a little bit. <laughs> Actually, I guess I have written Sunday's message because it's already been recorded. I haven't written next Sunday's message, but I yeah. this time schedule still makes it's still the same for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. And you you said that you're a procrastinator. You got a lot going on. If you were uh just sitting at home eating bonbons, you know, then we'd call you a procrastinator, but what a life. I would right? love to sit at home and eat bonbons. Yeah. Yeah. Just a never ending stream of bonbons. I know. Who are these people in history? Like, where did that metaphor come from? Who, how many people actually sat at home and ate bonbons? I don't yeah. think I know anybody. <laughs> and why is that the one? It's always like, it's not donuts. It's not cake. It's, it's always bonbons. And I got to be honest, I don't even really know what a bonbon is. It's like a truffle. I okay, think. that sounds good if to me. If it's not a truffle, uh, don't write hate mail to me. <laughs> but I think it's like a chocolate, like a truffle kind of thing. I'm going to decree that in my cult of Dan hating, we will constantly eat bonbons. Oh, okay. Well, then I'm on board. <laughs> then I take back everything I said, and now we will have a cult of <laughs> hating on Dan's. I love it. Oh, okay. Sorry, Dan's. <laughs> yep, you're out. Dan, No Dan's and no Android phones. <laughs> Oh, cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to us be insane there for a couple minutes. Uh, it's nice to break up the heaviness of Revelation with uh, being a doofus, I think. I completely agree. Cool. Um, and hey, we know everyone's here not for our theological wisdom, but for our bad jokes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're here for the doofusery. Doofery. Doofusery. Doofusery. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, cool. Okay, we have to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We are super excited to jump into Chapter 8, and we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.